Testing one, two, three, one, two, three, testing. I'm Ben McAdams, and I represent Utah's 4th Congressional District. Before I was elected last November, I was the mayor of Salt Lake County. It's my belief that Washington might work better if we thought about governing the country the way mayors approach leading their communities. In this podcast, I'm hoping to show you what being a member of Congress is really like, and whether it's possible to run this country the way we run our local governments. Welcome to Washington. So this week, I'm with sitting here with Sim Gill. We're in the members' dining room in the House of Representatives, right here in the Capitol. And let me just give a little history, Sim. I don't know if you, I, I didn't tell you this yet either, but what the, what this dining room is. So this dates back to 150 years ago. The Capitol was built in a part of Washington, D.C. It was really the middle of nowhere. No restaurants, no food around. So they, they brought in a food vendor here in the Capitol to, so people could have a place to eat, right, as they're here all day and working all day. Um, Washington's kind of built up now that there is there are restaurants yeah. and that around here, but you have this members' dining room here. Um, we have, you have to pay the cost yeah. of the meal, so yeah. it's not free. In fact, they just yeah. picked up our check. They'll be <laughs> bringing it back. Uh, Sim and I are splitting the bill, yeah. um, and uh, so you have to pay for it. But it's just here for the convenience of members. So I think you have to be a member of the uh, of Congress to eat here, mm-hmm. but you can bring guests. Yeah. And so right. for me, it's just a convenient place. It it's is. close to my office. I can come for lunch or for breakfast. It's good food. And it's good food. Yeah, it's not bad. I, we both had scrambled eggs and bacon, of course, bacon, right? Bacon, of course. Got to have bacon. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we just finished breakfast, and we've been talking about some of the issues. So, Sim, tell us a little bit, first of all, what brought you to D.C., and then and I want to talk about an issue sure. that we're working on. Sure. You know, I'm here for a conference, and I'm also on the board of directors with the National District Attorneys Association, and their new president-elect is going to be here giving a presentation. So we all got together, and we're actually talking about something we'll announce in a little bit, uh, some innovation about a training center. That may become, that's going to be coming out to Salt Lake uh, with the Salt Lake County DA's office, which we're excited about. And, of course, you know, criminal justice and prosecution and innovation. So we're having those discussions uh, this week. And so then we were talking about an issue. This is uh, an issue that we worked together on when you were district attorney and I was mayor. Um, and it's kind of come full circle now. I'm in Congress, and we're looking at the funding for this program, and that is the Children's Justice Center. So tell our listeners what the Children's Justice Center is, why it exists, and then we'll talk about the funding for it. Right. Uh, so uh, in, in the 1980s, uh, actually a prosecutor from uh, uh, Huntsville, Alabama, uh, started the first Children's Advocacy Center because uh, he was sick and tired of seeing how victims of uh, child sexual abuse uh, were getting treated in the criminal justice system. And, uh, so, like a kid, a kid is a victim of abuse, absolutely. and and they're traumatized, and they tell yeah. a police officer about it. But then you go to prosecute it, yeah. right? And and it, it, we just realized we were re-victimizing these kids as as they sit in the cold, dark s- cell or That's prosecution, right. you know, witness room, and have to retell their story. And it just we traumatize these victims over and over again in the course of prosecuting the offender, right? That's right. And and also, uh, and, and this is actually has correlation to our adult sexual assaults now uh, in the 20, uh, 21st century. Um, you also had no idea from a consistency from investigations. Um, how do we investigate? So the forensic interview techniques which have been established actually give us a 
uniform way to actually interview so you're not planting memories into them. Uh, but the most important thing about the Children at, uh, Justice Centers across the country is that that is a safe environment. Rather than going to a cold uh, room of a police station, you go to a warm, comfortable house uh, kind of setting where we can gather our evidence, uh, follow forensic interview techniques, and actually start to immediately wrap services around victims and victims' families who have undergone this incredible trauma. And as a result of this approach, uh, we've been able to actually increase our success in uh, holding offenders accountable who would abuse victims, but there is a lot of other collateral services that go into this uh, incident. When I was mayor, you know, my job was to fund the Children's Justice Center, but yeah. you ran it, yeah. and um, I had the opportunity to go and, and tour it with you, and, um, you know, you think of, you know, interviewing a witness and you think of in the movies with the spotlight in yeah. their eyes and that. And you imagine a, a young child there getting interviewed. Now, they don't do it that harshly, I think, yeah. right? But sitting in a cold, dark room and having to um, to go through that interview process and how traumatizing that can be versus the Children's Justice Center, at least your Children's yeah. Justice Center that I saw, you have counselors yes. and stuff. The kids get a stuffed animal when they come in and they sit on a sofa okay. instead of a and cold. They're, and they're different theme rooms so they get to choose the room that they want to go into which is which opens up the you know the comfort zone for them. They feel a little yeah. bit of control. Right. That's right. Yeah. And and it's just like your uh, you know grandma's living room uh, you know and uh, there are different themes there. Uh, it's very warm very inviting. Uh, you know we have audio devices and cameras there to record these uh, uh, interviews but they don't feel that it's a, that's a part of a, they're sharing that story. And the other thing is, by recording these, they tell their story once. We don't have to have them repeat it multiple, multiple times. And then, of course, as parents, can you imagine if your child was a, a victim, the, uh, the trauma that the parents and the guilt that the parents are carrying, and that knowing that their child is being treated in a safe environment, that is the beginning of that healing process for that whole family. So, um, you... And, and how does it affect the prosecution? Do you think you get better evidence or better better convictions? Uh, our, our success rate, both locally and nationally, is tied to the success of the Children's Justice Center. We could not find the measure of justice for victims, their families, and ultimately for us as communities if Children's Justice Center did not exist. I mean, last year, for example, in Salt Lake County, uh, at any any given time, you know, we probably helped between 1,800 to 2,000 uh, victims and family members and wrapping those services around them. Uh, and uh, so if the Children's Justice Center didn't exist, it would be a total game changer in a bad way uh, for our communities. So this started in the 1980s. It's, it's been adopted in various places around the country, not universal, right? Yeah. Tell, me, tell me how many places have adopted it. Well, you know, most of the, uh, most of the uh, states have in some fashion or another adopted them. Some are still working at uh, uh, as their capacity is there. They're not as uh, uh, vibrant. In Utah, it's created by state statute, but it's run at the local level. So each county is uh, uh, responsible for it. So the federal funding is a critical part of that supplement that comes in to help them localize this. Uh, if the federal funding wasn't there, uh, you know, and some state matching funds that come out, uh, we would not be in the position that we're at. So it is something that 
every state in some fashion or another has some contact with, but there's a lot more that could be being done. And then those that are doing a good job like ours, uh, we just uh, need the additional dollars to increase capacity and the continuity of care that's missing for these families. So why um, why should federal dollars go toward this and not just state and local dollars? Well, because this is often a, first of all, it gives a, Everybody agrees that vic- child victims protect and need our protection, and that's a, a responsibility both at the city, state, and federal level. That's a, Some of the crimes yeah, that you're prosecuting yeah, will be federal offenses, yeah, right? That's absolutely, because sometimes you have people who are, uh, you know, whether it is uh, crossing state lines, uh, you know, all you know is you've got a victim who's there. And, and a lot of times you have people who are unfortunately taking photographs and they're being sent across state lines. Uh, so uh, That'd be challenging. Child porn, internet, internet absolutely, absolutely. Right? Uh, and so, so these are you know there are those are those are the nexuses, that and that, that's probably true true for the the law enforcement relationship in generally. It is, it is. There's federal crimes, there are state crimes, there's local yeah. angles to that, but. But really, we, it's a very collaborative relationship from the federal gang task force, child pornography, uh, to uh, trafficking, drug trafficking. Uh, you know, drug trafficking is probably a great example that it is federal and local, and you interface all the time. Is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think that the, the national leadership starts at the federal level. Uh, you know, we, we talk about all this local control, but the vision is set at a federal level. Uh, the direction for the country is set at a federal level, and the federal partnership is a critical one to set that tone of leadership for local jurisdictions. Because if you left it just to local jurisdictions, they may not follow that. They may not see the importance of it. And I think that's why that federal leadership is so important in that collaborative partnership. Well, um, Sim, I just want to say, you know, I, I've worked with you now. Well, when I was in the state yeah. Senate a little yeah. bit, but yeah. um, uh, since I was elected Salt Lake County Mayor, uh, you have been such a, a great partner and I would say a good friend yeah. now. You're yeah. somebody yeah. who I, I really have enjoyed working with, and um, and it's different now that I'm in a different chair and a different role, yeah. but I ad- admire the work that you do on behalf of the people of Utah, keeping us safe, you know, putting uh, bad people behind bars, but also recognizing that... Um, some bad people are ready to turn their life around. And that's maybe some of the most rewarding work I've done has been with you in the context of Operation Rio Grande and more broadly criminal justice reform. Uh, Seeing people who you know, usually because of an addiction or mental health issues um, have chosen a life of crime, but when they hit rock bottom they want to turn their life around. And you have been, I would say, a national leader in helping people to turn their life around. Tell me a little bit maybe about how that's going. Well, it's going great. I mean, last year, uh, Ben, we uh, we were we uh, led out as the first national conference on prosecution excellence and best practices that was hosted out of Salt Lake County uh, DA's office. Uh, we had 175 electeds from across the country, everybody from Cy Vance from Manhattan to Jackie Lacey from L.A. County, Dan Satterberg from Seattle. And this was really a, and we do this now every two years, so our next one is going to be next year. And we're actually leading out on a di- national dialogue on prosecution excellence, innovation, uh, research, all coming together on how to implement that. But, you know, I want to s- uh, touch upon something you said. You know, uh, I also appreciate your partnership. Uh, you know, I get to be the prosecutor. You, you've been always in the uh, elected executive role. And, I, and it is a symbiotic partnership. It's a collaborative partnership because when it comes to taking care of our community, 
Uh, you know, I need leadership like you to be able to say, yes, this is worthy of our investment. Uh, what is the result that we're getting? And, you know, and, and I always quote you, Ben, you know, data-driven decision-making, right? Uh, research and good sound policy is uh, based on good data. And how do we innovate? How do we invest in the future that we want to build, as you've said before? And that partnership has been critical. Uh, I got the privilege of going to the court, and I get to lead the largest DA's office in the state. But it is also the collaborative partnership from the executive side that you brought, the fiscal uh, responsibility, uh, the, uh, the social responsibility uh, to achieve those ends. That has been a critical, critical partnership. And that's why I think you and I have gotten along so well, because it is a symbiotic partnership. No person gets to do it alone. And I have always appreciated that about you. You've seen the larger vision uh, and, uh, and want to make that change and be the agent of that change uh, in, in a responsible, fiscally sound way. And uh, that's been a great, great partnership. So uh, I'm, I've always been very, very appreciative of that. Yeah. Well, um, this some of the premise of this podcast is that Washington can learn a lot from local government yes. and, and mayors in particular. But I think Washington is, especially as we're talking, I'm on an opioid task force yeah. here. And um, I think Washington can learn a lot from our local DAs, too, yeah. about how to approach criminal justice reform, both in the in the real sense that we need to. They're bad people who need to be in jail, oh, but they're also. Um, we believe in second chances. Oh, right? Absolutely. Look, the work that we've done in Salt Lake County, uh, you know, on criminal justice reform, uh, was the pinnacle lead out for the rest of the state. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I had the privilege of helping start the first mental health court in the state of Utah over 18 years ago. Though the investment that uh, we're doing in uh, in therapeutic justice, mental health issues, looking for innovations uh, there, gathering good uh, data and research, um, the opioid task force. Uh, that uh, it, the, the litigation that you let out on Ben, uh, that was my privilege to be a part of. Uh, you know, we talked about this uh, epidemic that has left no community uh, uh, unscarred, and uh, Salt Lake County was no different. And the institutional cost that, and the beating that we took uh, from that, and then the litigation to assert for local uh, solutions. I think that you're right. Uh, you know, uh, whether you're at Congress or uh, in, in your home state, it's about solving real problems for real people uh, in real time. I think that really is a lesson, and uh, and I think you bring that up here, and, uh, and you're right. Sometimes people think, well, you know, we're in Washington, nothing gets done. But it's those local leaders in Congress who come up there with workable solutions who are going to break the logjam. And uh, you've helped solve so many of those pragmatic uh, challenges, whether it's infrastructure, uh, whether it's business attraction, whether it's criminal justice reform. Uh, how do we come up with a workable solution? And, uh, and Utah has led out and Salt Lake County has led out on criminal justice reform better than anybody else around the country would go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody. Well, as we dive deeper into some of this work on the opioid task force, yeah. I'm going to be circling back and asking yeah. for your ideas. So, Sim Gill, thank you for uh, joining me for breakfast today hey. and for being on the podcast. Hey, thank you for inviting me for breakfast. I loved it. This is uh, how it's supposed to be. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so, I always want to say, so let me say this one uh, last thing. Congressman Ben McAdams, I always <laughs> wanted to say that, so thank you. <laughs> thank you, Sim. I want to thank you for listening to Washington. What I'd really love to hear is from you. To follow this journey, subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the KSL Radio app, and anywhere you find interesting podcasts. 
To be part of this experiment in making the world's most powerful city responsive to citizens, please email me at tips at loudmouthproject.com. We'd like to thank the village that made this podcast possible. Andrea Smartin, Allison Hayrend, Danny Akana, District Attorney Sim Gill, and of course, Congressman Ben McAdams. Washington is a production of the Loudmouth Project.